Welcome to part two of this bumper edition of the British Broadcasting Century podcast, celebrating 100 years of the Radio Times. Times. Happy birthday, RT. I'm Paul Carenza. Uh, If you've not listened to part one, please do so. There we covered the early 20s to the early 90s, thanks to today's Radio Times co-editor, Shem Law. Brief famous quote out of one of his diaries. The increasing vulgarity of the Radio Times really rather makes me wish I hadn't started it in the first place. (laughs) And a historian who has the full set and helped bring them to the BBC Genome Project, Dr Steve Arnold. I've got a complete bound set of Radio Times. About three tonnes of magazines. Shem and Steve are our guides once again, returning for part two, along with the author of The Radio Times Story, that's Tony Curry. We're not stopping at every landmark moment, but uh, we will, in time, on this podcast, eventually. It does look like we've raced through 70 years in part one, only allowed 30 years in part two. Well, I asked Shem, today's editor, about the present and future of Radio Times, and he had a lot to say. So plenty this episode for you. It's like that bit after Christmas when you turn to week two in the bumper listings. Welcome to the second part of the Radio Times 100th birthday special of the British Broadcasting Century. Hello, this is Paul Carenza calling. This is London Calling. Hello, hello. We begin then with the early 1990s and the TV listings boom, when deregulation meant that Radio Times could print commercial listings and TV Times could print BBC listings. No longer do you need to buy both publications. And everybody else as well started to muscle in. Anyone remember Rupert Murdoch's satellite publication? Well, Radio Times editor Shem Law was there. I remember working for Uncle Rupert, as we used to call him, oh, yes. down Lower Regent Street, and we were, I was working on a fashion magazine called Mirabella, but around the corner he had this magazine called Sky. He was just waiting for the monopoly to, to stop, and then he was going to print listings, uh, all of them, and it got delayed, and then it got moved for a year, and so... They were all working up there. In fact, Maria Fife, who's our forward planning person, was on this magazine. They were having to print, this programme will be on and this will be great. Lots of stuff in there, but no listings. And in the end, he just ran out of money and it wasn't Mm. making enough. And they had to shut it. And then about (laughs) six months later, they scrapped the monopoly. But by that point, there was a big recession and Murdoch didn't enter the fray. The power of... Radio Times and TV Times. Broadcast historian and Radio Times fan Dr Steve Arnold. That was broken in March 91 and all of a sudden anyone that was anyone seemed to just want to jump in and produce a magazine. Mm. TV Choice, TV Quick, TV, 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 whatever it was called. (laughs) And all of the newspapers, they wanted to jump on the bandwagon as well. They were very keen in 91 to poach the listings magazine. There's no necessity to buy Radio Times, to buy TV Times, Mm. um, what's on TV, TV Quick. You can get that information for nothing. And also you've had, since Sky came along, the EPG. Yes, of course. So you just turn on your tablet, you can flick through, see what's on, and choose what you want to watch there and then. So... uh, Mm. Radio Times is 100, and it's obviously got a readership. Um, it can support the advertising base. It's no longer BBC. It's odd how TV Times, What's on TV, mm. you know, all those things still keep going. Mm. And Radio Times in some respects. But it's unique in so much as that it's one of the few magazines, if not the only magazine in the country, that has an almost 
50-50 split male-female readership. Oh, okay. And right. that to yeah. advertisers is quite rare yeah. and so therefore worth quite a bit. We're still, I think, still the most profitable magazine in the country. Okay. We may, certainly may make more money than, than Hearst and Condé Nast put together mm. just on one magazine. So right. that was obviously the attraction when they bought it off the BBC after yes. the government said they had divest themselves yes. of some of their publishing interests, which was just ridiculous. But hey. One question I had from podcast a podcast listener or two was about, does it still feel like there is some sort of BBC-ness involved in the magazine, or is it completely separate now? I mean, if it is separate, of course. but It is, but I'll tell you this story. I came to Radio Times in 2001, and in 2000, uh, I hadn't been there that long. It was in 2001, I think. I said, they said, there's nothing, there's, there isn't a cover this week. And I went, yes, there is. There's, there's this program with John Thor and Sarah Langshire in it. Two actors our readers absolutely love. Why is that not the cover? And they go, oh, it's an ITV, ITV programme. Right, yeah. and, and I said, what do you mean it's an ITV programme? Surely we've put ITV programmes on the cover before. And they went, no. Even though we, we stopped mm. the, the Monopoly 10 years before and we've mm. been printing all everyone else's schedules, mm. we haven't ever put an ITV programme on the cover. So I said, okay, well, let's just do it. And they said, oh, no, no, we can't do that. And it went up to board level at the BBC. Really, and they in the end they said, "Well, if you cover all the other stations, I guess there's actually no reason why we shouldn't yeah. be able to make money." Because Radio Times, I mean, th- there was always this sort of joke that we, the money that Radio Times made for the BBC mm. back in those days, was equivalent to about six months worth of EastEnders, right? Yeah, really, <laughs> <laughs> which was an incredibly wow. expensive thing. Yeah, but, yeah, I mean, yeah. I think they could have spent the money. No, no, I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. but that contribution. So, you know, it was purely out of naivety because I just assumed before I came to work there that surely they must do ITV shows. Uh, Now, of course, we do everything from from Netflix to Channel 5 to whatever. So that's how things got changed, I think, at Radio Mm. Times is that when, when I first arrived, it was like working for the civil service. Every BBC room has, you know, a number followed by a, a decimal point and then another number. And you kind of, you just didn't know where anything was being held. It took forever to get any decisions made. It, you know, it, it was a little, and I, and, you know, I'd come from Fleet Street, so it was like, mm. what is going on? Yeah, yeah. Part of me misses a bit of that. Part of me really doesn't miss that at all. But things were done at a glacial pace because that's the way we'd always done it. You know, we, we've always done it like that. We were still being printed by the printers from the 1950s who were charging us an absolute fortune, oh, really? you know. Yeah, and it was like, yeah. well, why aren't we doing this somewhere else at a more competitive rate? Oh, well, that's we've always done it like this, you know. Yeah, OK. Um, so it took a while to so cut it, those it, it, strings. It, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But no, there is still. Our readers predominantly watch BBC, mm-hmm. listen to BBC. 60% of them have access to streaming and they, mm-hmm. you know, they'll watch it if it's if it's good quality. But the default position is the BBC. Um, and my concerns are that it it's not that it's losing its way. I think the BBC has mm. enormous problems that it has to address in what it's going to be in the future. Uh, it's not helped by the fact that they're being persecuted left, right and centre mm. by whichever government's in charge, trying to get the, the, the licence fee off them and stuff. Mm. I've lived in America. I've lived in Australia. I've seen what a market force broadcasting system produces mm. And it's rubbish. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. just rubbish. Yes. As much as people moan and, and, go, and go on about it, this country's better with a state-funded broadcaster. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, I absolutely mm-hmm. state my, my life on it. But they're finding it hard, you know. 
we were talking about the new series of The Crown that will, will be happening later in the year. You know, that was a show that is a game changer. I went out to the set, you know, it's the same Elstree set, not, not the BBC Elstree, but the other Elstree set, uh, where they do Strictly and stuff like that. This set was built. It's a two-story set, which you rarely ever have. It's massive. And it was staying up for 10 years. You know, wow. no one... Yeah has money for that no. in, in, in you know, yeah. the BBC can't do that yeah. thousands of people that worked on it it's astonishing and so therefore if that's how it's changed they can't compete with what we pay as a licensing license fee so they've got to get smarter they've got to get clever they've got to find things they've got to launch more young talent all the rest of it and I'm and, you know and I'm sure there are all sorts of initiatives trying to do that but but they are stuck a bit between a rock and a hard place do young people watch the BBC from you know all these surveys or whatever not as much as they would like them to yeah. but does that mean you should get rid of all the loyal readers that listen to Radio 2 or yeah, all the people that radio, like well, yeah. or, or, or completely turn BBC 4 into a, a classics channel I don't know mm. uh, actually I quite like BBC 4 showing old stuff yeah. because that's the world I tend to inhabit these days it's, it's nice when I turn the page of the Radio Times and I see oh which some others do have them followed yeah. by all those yeah. things you think oh it's quite sweet in a way isn't it I mean stuff I probably knew I could always see on a streamer somewhere but it's nice to see it's, it there. it's like listening to the radio mm. you know it's quite nice for somebody else to curate that it is. you are about what the future radio you know maybe that's that's the answer maybe it's mm. getting other people to curate things that you can then watch in a, in a really simple and easy way you just mm. have to scan a barcode and then those 10 programs are on that mm. evening for you I don't mm. know but it's certainly changing faster than some can keep up with um, yeah. we do our best but we're always slightly behind in that yeah. respect but it was ever thus yeah I, 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 I used to find that Radio Times never put you go through the sort of Honestly, you go through old issues. They rarely put on the cover the first episode of a new oh yeah drama. It or takes program. a while. Yeah, they would wait. Mm. See how I go. If it got recommissioned, mm. then mm. you know. Oh no! Now we can put Poldark on the cover. Now yeah, we can do yeah. it because yeah. it's it's proved itself. And mm. and I think I think Doctor Who is one of the few times when somebody put their foot down and said, "We've spent so much money on this; right. it's got to go on the cover." But program reviews. They were written by the producers. That's that's mm. how in the in the fifties and sixties, I mean, it's the forties, the the person who made the program would write a piece about how wonderful it was for the Radio <laughs> Times. Yeah, uh, and it was a fun, they had a vested interest. Yeah. You know, lucky that doesn't happen anymore because God, yeah. some of the some of the pros is dreadful. But I think the fact we are now we're not part of the BBC, we're very BBC friendly in that respect. Mm. Um, but we are independent and we can, mm. we can say what we like about programmes. I think that's only fair and right. Yeah, it's a good thing. So this is part two of our Radio Times reminiscence. More interviews on this podcast than uh, we have in most episodes, where it's more often me doing the talking. But it's best here that you hear our guests relate to this story to you rather than me. Next episode, by the way, more guests as well. Authors and plenty of them. I've interviewed oh, a dozen or so writers and academics and people with books out. I've been waiting to put them out into various podcast episodes. It's taking so long to get through everybody. I thought, you know what, let's do a special where we weave together these different writers chronologically. Tales of very early 20th century radio or wireless, uh, American public broadcasting, plus academics and writers on later BBC classics. A lot to pack in, so we'll be doing that 
next episode. But there will be a short gap before then. Expect a month or so off as we approach the end of season five of the podcast. It also means I can write that book and plenty more research that I'm doing literally most days of my life to get ahead for season six of the podcast. Because I just can't research, present, edit all of these podcasts as quickly as you would like to listen to them. So uh, to quote a show that I used to write for, bear with. For those who support us on Patreon, though, lest you think, why are we supporting this thing when no podcast has appeared for a few weeks? Well, we can't have that, can we? So if you are with us on Patreon in October of 2023, that's sort of um, coming up now-ish, then I'm going to send you a free thing in the post. Yes, on your doormat, an old uh, radio book or some other papery goodness on broadcasting history will arrive at your house as long as you um, click a thing in a Patreon post. Details will be on patreon.com slash paulcarenza. So it's a great time to join us, get a book, support the podcast, and more audio and video and writings will await you there at patreon.com slash paulcarenza. For now, though, we're back to the Radio Times story where we have reached... 2001. Tony Curry writes a book. The Radio Times story... And here he is. The funny thing is, the reason I wrote the book was... <laughs> A bit like your podcast. When I was very, very small, I was only four, I think, I was crawling around in my grandmother's cottage on the floor, and I pulled up a bit of carpet, and this was just post-war, so you didn't have, you know, under-felt, under-carpets. You just stuck newspapers. And I pulled up this corner of carpet and found the Christmas Radio Times from 1952. Now, this would be about 1956, but... But the Christmas issue for 1952 looked to me like some huge, great discovery. And so I started collecting Radio Times. Uh, actually, it was pretty much open season on floor coverings. I just ripped everything up um, to my mother's <laughs> obvious disdain. And I found quite a lot of Radio Times under the floor as I got older and collected them and got really serious about it. Every Christmas... Um, my parents would say, what would you like for Christmas, Anthony? And I would say, I'd like a book about the Radio Times, please. And there wasn't one. And there went on not being one. And eventually my wife said, well, if you want a book about the Radio Times, you'll just have to write it yourself. So I did. I wrote it for me. Right. I, I wrote it because it was the book I always wanted. Yes. Uh, and so I just had to write it. But it was a great joy to do. This came out quite a long time ago. But interestingly, since then... Every new editor of the Radio Times has been instructed to read my book first before they take on the job. Oh, wonderful. And so on the, on the day when a new editor comes in to, uh, to take over, the first thing on their desk is my book. One of today's Radio Times editors, Shem Law. We in this country are at the mercy of a thing called competitive scheduling. It's not as big as it was, say, in the 70s, but... If you work in America, if you work in Germany, if you work in a lot of other countries, um, the schedules are set months in advance. You know, they might drop a special program in, you know, but on the whole, if they've got or spend a lot of money on a program, you know, and, and those listings magazines work like clockwork because they, mm. they get these months, weeks in advance knowing when things are going to be on. Whereas here, we have to wait until Wednesday afternoon when ITV and BBC and Channel 4 and... I wouldn't say Channel 5, but they are a, a rogue nation unto themselves, <laughs> show each other their rough schedules, and then right. they start pulling things. So you might have shot four covers um, 
all huge programs that you know roughly are going to be in this week, this week, this week, and this week. Mm. And suddenly they put them all in the same week. Right. You know, yeah. because they think, well, that's a strong program. Let's put, let's put this one against yeah, it and okay. see if we can win share. And, you know, yeah. I, it's a dark art and I don't pretend mm. to understand it. But yeah. it's, it's something that is becoming less important because, of course, I can't remember the last time I mm. sat down and watched a television program when it was actually broadcast. Yeah. You know, in linear time, shall we say. 2012, the BBC Genome Project digitises each Radio Times, and one of those making this possible is Steve Arnold. I spent quite a bit of money getting my collection of Radio Times. It was all part and parcel of my hobby and my interest. When Genome came along, I'd been pushing for a digitisation of the Radio Times. It was trying to make this information available to others as well. So for, for the main part, though, if we're looking at Genome Programme Index... We can now put a, a voice to the one of the people behind some of this, that actually some of this is not just your work, but some of it is stuff that you've collected over the years. Is that right? There seemed to be this idea that there was a locked room with a complete set of Radio Times in preserved in aspic almost. Mm. And that wasn't it. Genome came along and said, right, we're going to digitise the London edition. They needed some guidance with it, so I was employed on that the project this information is now freely available it's been um, incorporated into current scheduling and programming so it changed its name from genome to program index 2020 radio times feature streaming and podcasts since times radio came out you look at the times tv and radio listings and sure enough you get, you get to the radio part in the Times and Weekend Supplement and it will say, you know, Tuesday, uh, radio. And before Radio 1, 2, 3 and 4, it will have Times Radio. And it's this lovely thing of this little merry dance between the press and, and the broadcasters. It's made research a nightmare because I would search for Radio Times. Well, Times Radio is exactly the <laughs> same word. <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> It is one thing that Radio Times does, it's an anachronism, the the title has been an anachronism since TV's ascendance in the 50s. No one seems to worry about that. And of course, uh, to add to the confusion, all we need now is for Times Radio to make their own uh, listings called the Times Radio Times. And for Radio Times to make their own radio station called Radio Times Radio, and then uh, then go back uh, to your work. Uh, radio Times have their own podcast, so they they're do. not far off. That's true. Give it time. Who knows where we'll be in another hundred years? We'll have to find out. Twenty twenty three. Radio Times begins its second century. The present and indeed the future of the Radio Times. It feels like it's constant and yet the changes when they incrementally come in. Like I remember a few months ago, maybe it was a year ago, I don't know, when the at a glance week was daily and then now it's this more sort of fluid yep. thing because of course we don't necessarily I don't sit down and watch you know we love watching Gone, Gone Fishing with Morton White uh, but yep. we don't watch it as it goes out anymore no. we watch it the next day so exactly. those little changes are you, you're there constantly responding to audience habits and the like is it? Well or? you have to you only have to look at your own habits really more than anything mm-hmm. else yeah, you know true. and this really accelerated the pandemic when people were desperate for content films Mm. television wasn't being made so they were running out and so people would start subscribing to streaming services now the problem and the dirty little secret of the streamers is that 
they don't make an awful lot of new programs. You see what Netflix release in a month or whatever, mm. and you know there's three or four really cracking good things there that you want to tell people about in Radio Times, and there's probably about ten or fifteen really bad ones. Mm. But they don't have to fill a daily schedule. Yeah, you know they don't have to work out what am I going to put on uh, tea time on 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 Sunday. So the the terrestrial broadcasters, the BBC, ITV, they are sort of rather hampered by that, mm. and. And I, you know, I do feel sorry for them. But things, when I first arrived at Radio Times, one of the big things was the, the film section. You know, oh, the films mm. are on this week, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Films, it's, I'm finding it harder and harder and harder mm. to find films on terrestrial television that haven't been shown 5,000 times, mm. that people, ha- you know, and they are becoming just classic films now. Christmas, maybe they'll make an effort. But even so, by mm. the time... They've put a film on, you know, all those kids' films. That, oh, it's the first terrestrial showing. Mm. They've seen them a hundred times, yeah. you know. So yeah. it's not special. Sitting at home thinking, will this year be the year they put The Great Escape on television for the first time? <laughs> yes. That's all gone. Yeah. You know, yeah. you had to wait seven, eight, nine, yeah. ten years sometimes before a film would come on television. Mm. So things like that, that part of the media landscape has changed enormously. Yeah. And so that's why we, we sort of incorporated the film section into into the listing section because it's not that important anymore. What is important is the fact that some films are released on television at the same time as they're in the cinema. Sometimes you wait oh, one or two weeks if, you know, if you're really unlucky to then watch the new um, uh, Indiana Jones movie or whatever it may be. So, again, you've got to tell people that, that stuff and that's available and they can get hold of it. But what is important for um, readers just changes all the time and you have to change all the time with it um, and I, I, a lot of those changes if I'm honest I, when I see it in the radio times I think oh that's changed that's that's very there and I'm often resistant for a moment and then within literally a week or two I'm looking at going I'm glad they've made that change so you seem to have got this magic formula that actually it convinces me very quickly well, to go that actually like the streaming thing I was there for ages going yeah. oh I don't stream does it really and I, go, I know it's really useful it's really useful to know what to subscribe to now well so. that's very sweet for you Paul because there are still some people that like to write to me and tell <laughs> sure me how I've got it so unbelievably <laughs> wrong in that respect I sometimes look at the magazines that we produce today and I just think wouldn't it be nicer to produce them the way they were produced in the 1970s where you know you didn't have to use a photograph as a program whatever in, inside the listings you could use a lovely illustrator you know mm. we're going to the moon so we're going to get somebody to draw the mm. stages of the rocket you know mm. all of that stuff but unfortunately things have changed I've, I've been doing this job for 40 years when I first started the newspaper for was hot metal still and when it printed on a, on a Saturday evening you would go to the foundry and they would be melting lead and pouring them into these huge machines and just the way they'd been doing it since the 30s all of that's dead now there are no typesetters there are no all those uh, associate trades for magazine production and soon as I'm told frequently, there will be no magazines, you know, it will all be digital. And that's how we'll consume things. I have to say there probably are. I have four grown up daughters, not one of them buys a newspaper, not one of them buys a magazine. So it is only a matter of time. But if you don't change, there are huge changes afoot, even more changes afoot as to how we take what we do best, which is telling people what the best stuff is, that's being broadcast, however mm. it's being broadcast, and getting that into their hands in different ways. The BBC have hinted that they will switch or turn off linear broadcasting and they will just you only have to watch 
any amount of BBC programming or listen mm. to it on the radio. All they want you to do is watch it via yeah. iPlayer or, or listen to it via mm. sounds because that's they can see that's the way it's going. It's a terrible shame, but... You, you know, have to roll with it, don't you, really? You know, you know. I don't have to start my car with a, that, yeah. that starting handle. No, that's true. You know, there are benefits. Exactly. You know, so, and you we know. Learn, to, mm. learn to love them, don't we, really? Mm. Can you look ahead five, ten years and go, what does the Radio Times look like then? Because it will be different. It will change as we as our viewing habits change, I suppose. But no one, you need a crystal ball, I guess, to know how we'll change and therefore how Radio Times, I guess, will respond yeah. to that. The great thing, and I always recite Blade Runner. I remember watching it in the cinema and thinking that's the smartest thing I've ever seen. You've got the spaceships that are flying around, but people are still on bicycles and using umbrellas, you know, and you just think change happens and it does happen in an, an astonishing way. But it drags things along from the past with them and some things are indispensable. And the thing we found with Radio Times is that, and especially Radio Times readers, is that Radio Times readers don't actually watch a lot of television. Right. You know? <laughs> okay, you'd think they'd be obsessed with it because they buy, no, they buy it because they want to be told, if I'm going to spend two hours of my time tonight watching some television, please tell me something that's worth actually watching. You know? yes. Because there's a lot of, there's a lot of rubbish on television. We yeah, all know that. And all that will happen, I think, and I think it's a bit of a shame because uh, we're doing the 100th issue as we speak upstairs. So somebody said to me, oh, you know, you're old enough. You can remember The Ascent of Man by, you know, Jacob Brodowski and all the rest of it. And I do. And I remember watching it at age 11. Most of it went over my head. But I don't suppose there's an 11-year-old now that would be exposed to that kind of programming because they don't have to be because they can watch whatever they want, whenever they want. And I think that's going to be the shame is that people will only really watch the things that they are interested in and that doesn't, in fact, mean that they will be exposed to other things that they then might become interested in. Yeah. And it will really come down to peer group. You know, somebody saying, I saw this or whatever. Did you see that? We still do that as, as human mm. beings. And a lot of that will be fueled by the fact that if you're not reading newspapers or, or reading the Radio Times, how are you going to know where this? You know, my, mm. my kids, they don't, I told you, they don't read newspapers. If there's a program that their friends tell them about yeah. and I haven't told them about, why didn't you tell me about that? And you're like, well, it's in the Radio Times. Yeah, you you, if you just read it, exactly. it wouldn't be a problem. If it's on, you it's know. in. Exactly. Yeah. So from town criers onwards, you know, people want to be told stuff. Yeah. And how we do that, whether it be on an app or website or beam directly into your head, you know, <laughs> yeah. God knows. Who knows, But yeah. the, But yeah. there'll be a version of Radio Times because... How can there not be? If you want to be entertained, and let's face it, life's difficult enough. If you, you want to sit down and just take yourself out of it occasionally, there's nothing more disappointing than embarking on a on a six-part series and getting to about part three and going, God, this is That's dire, true. you know. Yes, if someone had told me. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah. Only someone yeah. had told me how rubbish yeah. this was. So I'm not naturally a, a, an optimistic person, but yeah. I think there has to be uh, a future where if you're writing in a funny or informative or whatever way then there's got to be a market for it there's got to be a way yeah. that people want to consume that it may not be a magazine but there's enough people mm. who grew up with them enough people still alive who want to read a paper product and long may that continue absolutely here here to that absolutely I, I have a theory that radio times may outlast radio itself before radio becomes audio we well, will see you know this is true i mean we, in fact we were going we were going through some stuff um only the other day there was a huge debate as to what in the pages of radio times what you call watching television 
Uh, well, the people who watch television. Oh, yes. Are they watchers? Are they lookers? And it wasn't until, yes. supposedly, Radio Times came up with viewers that... Um, uh-huh. So we, we commend them for that. Absolutely. Well, I know, I know the radio was listeners in, of course, to begin with, rather mm. than listeners. And some, some papers even tried to make it catch on as broadcatchers. So they are broadcasters <laughs> yep. and we are broadcatchers because we catch what is calf. Oh, of course. Very good. It should have caught on, definitely. We thank you. Much appreciated. My pleasure. Uh, and thank you for your, your time You'll and generosity. You'll have to come back in, uh, I don't know, maybe, should we call it 50 years? Here's the next 100. Yeah, here's yeah. the next 100 indeed. Thank you, Joe. Much appreciated. 2123. Radio Times begins its third century. Beamed straight into your head. <laughs> thanks to Shem Law, who was so gracious and generous in giving me a tour of the Radio Times office and giving me so much of his time and knowledge. And let me tell you, with Shem and the team there, today's Radio Times is in great hands. It was wonderful to see the team who put it all together. My thanks to Dr Steve Arnold, who will return on the podcast in future, and my thanks to Tony Curry and to Justin Webb. Your further reading, then, are quite simply uh, their books. So Tony Curry's book is the Radio Times story. Shem Law has edited the Radio Times cover story book. That's the official Radio Timesy thing. Uh, the War Years as well is fantastic. Radiotimesarchive.com is Steve Arnold's website. And my books include Hark, the Biography of Christmas, Auntie and Uncle's The Bizarre Birth of the BBC is not out yet, but watch this space in the next few months. And don't forget Justin Webb's book, The Gift of a Radio. Don't forget it. I did. That's why our computer is voicing this bit. Silly Carenza. You can always contact the podcast, Paul, at paulcarenza.com. paulcarenza.com slash tour tells you where I'm on the road telling these wonderful tales of early broadcasting. Do come and seek me out, Kettering, Peckham, and many other places, paulcarenza.com slash tour. And after this episode, what next then? Well, there'll be a slight gap, and then we're going to have an author's special in about a month's time. And after that, we're back in spring 1923 for season six of this podcast, when we will be closing the doors of Magnet House and opening the doors of Savoy Hill. That's all coming up in this year of 2023. But for now, we salute 1923 and a century of the Radio Times. Please be upstanding for the Radio Times Anthem. The British Broadcasting Century is presented and produced by me, Paul Carenza. Radio Times The Song is sung by Dan Donovan, composed by Henry Hall. And original music on this podcast is composed by Will Farmer. You can find us on the social media. And indeed, support the podcast at patreon.com slash paulcarenza. We have nothing to do with the BBC, just like the Radio Times nowadays. Stay informed, educated, entertained and subscribed. And join us next time for an author's special of the British Broadcasting Century. Radio Times.